best, folks. I'm Fred McMurray. It's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. Pacific. Something's gone wrong as normal, but we're going to get around it. And this must, so this must be whatever it is. I don't know. You know, you know it is. Let me Let me alone. Hey. I'm going mute. I mean, Fred, what day is it? I don't Happy... know. Let me alone. It's Viking. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hysterical. Happy Friday Eve, Elizabeth. Happy Friday Eve. It's kind yeah. of like Friday because I'm traveling tomorrow, so I'm excited. Woo. Welcome I'm to Franchising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Social Franchising. we got a great episode for you this week. And what, we is, do. what is our word on the street? Well, our word on the street today is, um, I think, very relevant to what we are doing. And um, there was an article in Entrepreneur Magazine that talked about the six benefits of working with a franchise consultant yeah. um, or, or mentor in, in the case that we use that word more often and why it's important. So I, I think it's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people think they can just do their own research and dig in and They always want to do something that they have experience with or knowledge of, and that is not always the best fit right? Um, right. for the lifestyle they're looking for, for the money they have to invest, for the location and territories that are available. So what is your advice to somebody who is looking and thinking they're just going to do this all on their own? Well, so here's the thing, right? So first of all, there are between 3,500 and 4,000 different models out there. And every year, approximately 500 exit and 500 come in, according to IFA statistics, right? And so, first of all, how do you keep up with that? And every single one of them has anywhere from 175 to 500 pages in their FDD, okay? And every FDD has 23 sections in it that you want to make sure you read. So... <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can't do that much reading. And there well, are if, if you don't even know what the FDD is, you're already That's starting. Exactly. So give a quick explanation of what that is. So the franchise disclosure document gives you all kinds of different information, anything from the franchisors, um, their financials to their territory descriptions to um, franchise systems they have, kind of their rules and regulations, call call it their rules of play, all different information, uh, what you need to even qualify to be a franchisee for them. Um, So that's that's just one piece, right? Also, the other thing that I think most people aren't real good at is identifying kind of who you are as a person, not just your work style, but what you're really good at and maybe where your blind spots are. So working with with a consultant, a good consultant will have some kind of a way to do a personality assessment, help you determine where those blind spots are so that when you choose a brand, um, you find brands that are complementary to you, okay? Um, And quite frankly, their job is to help be a matchmaker. So when we get those facts about kind of who you are, we also look at what are your goals. 
three years, five years, 10 years? What is the exit strategy? Are you looking for a legacy that you want to leave for your family? Are you looking And she's frozen, but to continue with what she was saying, <laughs> all franchise systems are not created alike. So when you go through these assessments and these personality um, diagnoses, I guess you could say, you, you find out what kind of franchise system works for you and what matches well with you. Is it a hands-on? Is it a pace? Is it something you can do from your home? Uh, are you back with us? Um, yeah, I'm not sure who. It looks like my connection is unstable. It is. You were gone for a few minutes, so I just carried on kind of talking about the matchmaking system and what works for whom um, and what, you know, different franchise systems demand different personalities, skills, ways of working, that kind of thing. So right, right. continue on. And, and the good thing is with, with this matchmaker consultant is that many of us have kind of the top 10% in every franchise brand, we understand what the top 10% of those brands with those folks look like. And so we can match them with the people who are looking to buy into those brands to make sure that we replicate success stories. Um, and I always look at it as being able to provide cliff notes for people, kind of the high level of these are the top three things that this brand has to offer. And here are some of the downfalls, right? Um, making sure that you really understand. And one of the really important things is to understand that most brands, most, the good brands, don't just want your money. They want somebody that fits, fits their culture, fits their values, somebody that's there to grow the brand and be conscientious about how they cultivate with the customer in the future. And so it's really important to make sure that we prepare you for the interview because it's not just give them a check and you get the brand. It is an interview. You interview them and they interview you. Make sure you understand what discovery day is. Make sure you understand how you validate with current and previous owners so you know what questions to ask. So there are a lot of things that working with a consultant helps you do. Um, if you choose to work with us here at Pillars, you have a plethora of us to talk to you about this process. So it's not just one consultant, it's not just me, but you have the benefit of talking to Ray and Gary and Karen and myself to make sure that we all can talk to you about different brands and different options that are out there. So I personally used a consultant. I think it was the best thing I could have ever done. And I'm obviously super happy 16 years into my brand and I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And just knowing that, that they have a, a resource that's an advocate for them who is there to answer any and all questions, no questions too dumb, no questions too right. complicated. You know, you can you have that ally in the process, and yeah, it's going to give you the confidence that what you're the decision you're making is a good one. Right, and we all know, right? Jerry has a book out there, so if you choose, you want to kind of start the process, or you choose to go it alone. Live it to own it is available out there. You can take a look at his book first, and uh, if you're somebody who's you know set on going the path alone, take a look at it. And you can always still call us and talk to Jerry. He's happy to help you as well. Absolutely. Um, up next, we've got a great guest, but before we introduce her, we want to remind you that you can call into the show at 323-580-5755. Um, you can also get on pillarsoffranchising.com and send us a note if you have questions for our guests or any of the panelists in the following segment. Stay tuned. Kelly! I had to unmute. Hi there. <laughs> 
welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I keep I keep grabbing my cord. Good Lord. I'm just a mess over here. <laughs> Hi, Kelly. Hi, Ray. How are you? Good, good. I'd like to uh, read your introduction. Uh, Kelly is the uh, senior consultant at Benetrends Financial with over a decade of franchise and business funding experience. Benetrends has been a leader in the financial services industry for nearly 40 years, helping entrepreneurs understand their funding options and develop smart capitalization strategies. Kelly has a well-rounded, empathetic approach to assisting her clients. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Hey, I appreciate being here. I think this is my third time. So I uh, have so much fun every time you guys bring me on. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Well, the great thing is, you know, we just talked about people wanting to use um, coaches, brokers, consultants to buy, you know, help find a franchise. And you are a critical part of that. I mean, you know, I just just called you not too long ago to talk about somebody's situation who wants to, to buy a franchise. And Funding is a very, very critical and really close to the very beginning step. It should be. You know, sometimes people, I think this is a mistake that people will leave it till the end, you know, because it's not uncommon for a a franchise consultant or a franchise themselves to kind of introduce me to someone and want us to have a conversation. But sometimes the client says, you know what, I really haven't started looking at anything yet, or I'm very early on. Let me kind of figure out what I want first. And I think that's kind of backwards. I understand the thinking of it because they say, well, I don't want to waste anybody's time, but it's not a waste of time. I think it's, I think it's imperative that they have a chat with us early on so we can kind of take a look at what their financials look like and their credit and their income and, and get an idea of really what they're trying to accomplish. You know, do they just want one small business or are they trying to build an empire? And once we kind of have a picture, we can develop a funding strategy for them based on their assets and their goals. And we can kind of help them figure that out because you, it definitely makes a difference if you're going to do one franchise or if you do multi-unit. It's critical mm-hmm. that we fund the first one the right way so that they can open up those future territories. So I think that the earlier they talk to us and at least get an idea of what they can do, um, I think that it helps everybody. And it really helps the consultant kind of steer the direction because, you know, the way that I always explain it to people is it's really no different than if you're like shopping for a home. There's not a realtor around that is going to start showing you homes before you've been pre-qualified for a mortgage, right? Because they don't want to show you, yeah, they don't want to show you million dollar homes if maybe your maximum capacity for borrowing is 500,000. It's easy to go up. It's hard to go down and you don't want somebody to fall in love with something that they don't have the ability to actually see it through. So I think the earlier we can get involved, the better it is for everybody. Well, I know when we looked um, before we worked with a consultant, we literally grabbed a magazine and we started looking and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, well, how do I even know? Like, and my first thought was, well, okay, how much do we have in the bank? How much do I have in retirement? And like, do I want to go all in? Is this like, you know, when you buy a house, you go, okay, so roughly they say two and a half times your annual income should be your target. Like, what's the formula in franchising? Yeah. Is there one? Is there kind of a formula you could use? Like, uh, oh gosh, that's a really good question, and and I I've never really thought about a formula. It just 
it just, I think, kind of depends on someone's comfort level um, and disposable income and what their resources are. But I don't think it's ever a good idea for somebody to to put everything they've got towards it, you know. So if if we're looking at like, you know, retirement funds, for example, and they're going to do a a ROBS and we're over for business startup, if they've got $500,000 in retirement funds, you know, does it make sense to use half or, you know, I, I don't ever want to see anybody use everything they've got. You, and, yeah. and, and if you're trying to get like an SBA loan, if you're trying to borrow money, they're not going to let you either. The bank will never deplete all of your cash. They always want to yeah. see that you've got some money left over for a rainy day. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what the formula is, um, but I think it just, you know, it has to make sense for the client that they've got some money, money left over if they need it. Well, right. The, the formula is OPM. Okay. Other people's money. <laughs> Other people's money. And, and, and I know that sounds a little funny, but you really don't want to. I think one of the mistakes that some entrepreneurs make is that say, I don't need any financing. I have enough money in my account. I don't need any financing. Before you know, they get to that point where they're getting down to the bottom dollars in their, in their account and the economy t- uh, goes south. So now what are you going to do? So you've used all your money. <laughs> Uh, okay, you don't owe anybody any money, but still, you know, you've used all your money and you, you really can't recover from that. So that's why I think there there's a certain advantage and, and it probably should be no more than half of what you have in your bank account that you should be, you know, you know using and borrow the rest. I I agree with that. And I think that, you know, there's one simple truth that nobody's ever failed because they had access to too much working capital. Like it can't happen, right? You could fail for a million other reasons, but too much money is not one of them. And I I don't think it's ever smart to use all of your own cash because, you know, if you're borrowing money, you can always pay it back early without a penalty. So why wouldn't you just take it in case you, in case you need it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's especially true. Um, you know, I've always been candid in in my experience, and and I did that right. So I used my own money initially. We didn't take a loan, and I used. Now I'm killing myself because right, I used my Home Depot stock money that I had at ten dollars a share, and it was up at ninety eight dollars a share. And I thought, woohoo! And now it's three hundred bucks a share, and uh, I thought, I could be in a totally different situation. Uh, but that's painful. At the that time, I thought, well. It's my money, but it's stock, right? I'm investing good money and good money. And now I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did I do, you know? Mm-hmm. But I could have just been paying interest on a loan. And yeah. then we went through the recession. And so it's a really valuable lesson I learned thinking I was getting ahead because I was raised with don't have any debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, sometimes yeah. It, it works for you. Oftentimes it works for you, I think, in business. And the other thing that people need to realize is that you take the money while you can get it. And what I mean by that is, <laughs> and it's really counterintuitive, but when you're just starting out as a brand new franchise, if you meet the qualifications, the bank will make the loan to you. But once you're in business, you've got to be in business for a couple of years and you have to be cash flow positive before you can get a loan. And mm-hmm. typically you're not trying to get a loan. A lot of times it's not because you're expanding. You want a loan because maybe you need some extra working capital and you literally could just be a couple months away from being cash flow positive, but mm-hmm. it, the banks, nobody's going to give you money at that point. So take it in the beginning while you can get it and you can always pay it back early. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
One of the issues uh, I ran into uh, when I was looking for some financing was the lack of collateral. Uh, in other words, in our business, we basically, you know, I leased my cars. The only collateral I had is some uh, vacuum cleaners and <laughs> washing machines. So, you know, it really wasn't uh, much. Uh, how, do, how does the financial uh, company uh and that was a problem when I was looking. I don't know if it's still a problem. Uh, is a financial company still looking for some collateral? Well, first, I just have to say, I can't believe they wouldn't take your washing machines as collateral. That's <laughs> <just> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and Shame on that bank. <laughs> <laughs> um, collateral still comes into play. And, you know, it's one of those things that if your loan is under $350,000, then the bank can use their own discretion as to if they want to capture collateral or not. Mm -hmm. A lot of banks still want it, but they don't have to capture it unless it's their policy. If mm -hmm. your loan hits 350000 or greater, then SBA mandates to the bank, the Small Business Administration that's guaranteeing that government-backed loan, they mandate to the bank that they have to capture whatever collateral is available up to 100% value of the loan. So mm -hmm. um, it, it definitely still comes into play. And truthfully, a lot of our lenders do want collateral, even if it's under under 350. So it's not it's not always a deal breaker if you don't have it by any means, but it, it certainly helps. Kelly, what it, are some of the unique products that Benetrends offers? Weren't you one of the first ones that did was it the Rob? I, I love that question. We were the first one to do Rob. So uh, a little bit of fun fun history on that is the founder of Benetrends, his name is Len Fisher. He's an ERISA attorney. And he was looking kind of at the structure because Rob's really corporate America has been doing this forever. And he looked at that structure and wondered why everybody else couldn't do it. And he worked directly with the IRS to develop the rules and regulations to bring Rob's to people like you and I. So we did the first Rob's in 1983. We've been doing it for about 40 40 years, and I believe we've done at least 20,000 of them in that time. So mm. we, we know that product inside and out, obviously. And for those of you that are not familiar with ROBS, ROBS, it stands for, it's R-O-B-S, it's a terrible acronym. I guess the IRS maybe <laughs> does have a sense of humor after all, uh, but it stands for rollover as business startups. And it gives you the ability to use your pre-tax retirement funds like 401ks or IRAs to invest in your business without actually having to take a distribution and pay taxes and penalties on that money. And the short version of how it works, and we'll bore you with all the details, but just kind of a short version of it is, you know, we take our retirement plan money and we invest it in the market, right? We buy stock in Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Facebook, Tesla. You can actually take that money, invest it in your own company and use it to purchase your own company and stock own company stock instead. So most people have no idea that exists until they get into the franchise community. And then it's literally done thousands of times a year. It's our best kept secret. Um, so that's a, a great way to fund a business and you can go in completely debt-free if you fund that way. So you're profitable faster because you're not saddled with monthly payments back to the bank. The cost of capital is less because you're not paying thousands of dollars in interest. So some people fund fully with ROBS, but you can also do it in combination with any other type of funding, with cash, uh, he, uh, like a home equity line of credit. If you're getting an SBA loan, they require cash injections and post-closing liquidity. You can use it 
for that as well. And that's what a lot of our clients do is combination funding. So ROMS is a unique product. And then there's other things too that maybe aren't so unique, but they're really helpful if you're looking to leverage um, you can lease equipment. And we even have like fleet leasing programs. If, if you're heavily, you know, if you've got a, um, if you've got vehicles involved and you need to do wrapping and those types of things, so we could do that. And then a lot of people don't realize also that if you have a brokerage account with $100,000 or more in it, just some after-tax stocks and bonds, mm-hmm. many times you can borrow against that. You know, it's like a margin loan or a portfolio loan. You don't have to sell off your investments. You can keep that money invested in the market, and they're basically just using the the account itself as collateral, and they're lending you against it. And I'll tell you, that is fast, simple, and the rates are are good too. And they're less than SBA typically. So a lot of times we recommend our clients do that or pull from home equity over SBA just because it's cheaper, faster, and easier. I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Uh Uh-oh. Is there a, do you have a favorite franchise type to fund right now? Is the one that you just think is a slam dunk to fund? I, I, I honestly, no, I, I, I wouldn't say anything's coming, coming to mind because I, I don't think it's really dependent on the franchise. Honestly, I think it really depends more on the, the borrower. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, if you've, if you've got a borrower that checks all the boxes because the banks are looking for this laundry list of things, right? Potentially collateral, cash injection, cash reserve, good credit, potentially experience, all these things. So I think the more, the more boxes that you check, mm-hmm. um, the easier it is to get, to get lending. Um, I don't think it depends as much on the franchise with the exception of if it's an emerging franchise. And right. what we consider emerging is anything with less than 50 units open and operating in the United States. So if it's an emerging brand, then it's tougher. It is tougher because it's a little riskier, right? It's not like sure. a subway that there's thousands of them open and, and the banks, you know, know that they've done a lot of loans through SBA and they've been paid back. Uh, right. So there are fewer banks to lend when it's emerging right. and the client has to, the borrower, the client has to be stronger in order to get those loans approved. So um, that's a good yeah. point though, because Subway actually has a lot of loans that are going bad right now. Oh, seriously. And so, <laughs> so yeah, statistically, when you look at some of those with SBA, it's really interesting how some of these waves happen and so I, I was kind of curious because I was also wondering if you had some, you know, brands that you look at probably more in the emerging where you go, what is this model? You know, because there's some crazy things out there that goes into franchising. And there's no doubt that I've had those moments and I, and I won't name any of them, right, right. but it's, uh, it, it's that thought has come to me more than once and actually <laughs> just this week. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Kelly, how, Ray, I'm sorry, do you have another question? I thought you did. Just uh, one quick question, uh, uh, Kelly. What can an uh, entrepreneur do to prepare himself uh, before he goes asking for a loan? I love that question. So, you know, you need to have good credit. You want to make sure your, your credit's in check. And when I say good credit, the banks love 700 plus. 
but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be 700. We really do prefer to see you at least 685 or better. But even if you're below 685, it's not a deal breaker, but everything else has to be strong. So, you know, and, and again, if we look at, you've got this, this bucket and all these qualifications that they want, credit and income and different things that go into it. So if you're, if you're weak in one area, then you have to fill that bucket up in, in other, other ways. Yeah, um, sure. So I think you want to make sure your credit's pretty clean. You don't want a ton of inquiries. You don't want to take on a lot of new debt. If you're try if you're planning to get an SBA loan, don't let a lot of people pull your credit. Don't uh, don't go out and run up your credit cards. Borrow from other things. Um, yeah. So credit is a big one. And then I also see people. You want to pay your credit cards down. I have people come to me with, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars in credit card debt. No bank wants to see that because that just looks like you're living beyond your means and you don't know how to manage your finances. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think in most cases you want to get that credit card debt down under twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then beyond that, you're just you're gonna need some liquidity if you're trying to borrow money and it's this is not an exact science, but kind of an easy rule of thumb. If you're trying to guesstimate what your borrowing ability might be, it's safe to assume that you're going to need a 20% cash injection of the total investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a $500,000 investment, you're probably going to be asked to inject about 100000 of your own cash towards the business. And that goes towards franchise fees and towards other business expenses. It doesn't just go to the bank like it does when you buy a home. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got the cash injection, but then they want post-closing liquidity. They want to see that you've got some cash left over in case you hit a tough spot. That is usually another 10 to 20%. So again, as a safe rule of thumb, if you want to go worst case scenario, if you assume that you're going to need about 40% liquidity of the total investment, you should be okay. And you might not always need that much, but that's just kind of a, a quick way to, to gauge it. So $500,000 investment, if you have 200,000 in liquidity, you, you should be good provided that everything else falls in, in line. Kelly, we have a question from the audience and actually it's kind of a two-part question. So um, when you use Rob, do you have to operate as a C-Corp? And yeah. what are the, the monthly and annual fees for the Rob? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, IRS does mandate that we set it up as a C corporation. A C corporation is the only entity that's approved that the retirement plan can invest in the in the company and, and buy the corporate stock. So it has to be a C corp. Mm-hmm. The kind of the standard fee in the industry to set it up is usually around four thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars well let's call it five let's call it what it is right five thousand dollars <laughs> i don't know who they think they're fooling with that five dollars mm-hmm. um, so it's about five grand typically to put it in place and and we all set up the corporation included in that too so we're doing all the work and then the monthly fees vary based on the provider okay. uh, ours is 145 dollars monthly and we do all the tax reporting and the record keeping required to maintain compliance with the IRS. So we set them up on, the, on a monthly basis. Yeah. Okay. 
So the fee is monthly. A lot of that work is annual, but the fee is monthly. So we set it up properly on the front end, and then we do all the work on the back end to make sure we keep them out of IRS prison. Okay, great. And then is there an industry, would you say there's an industry average average on those monthly fees, or what is the range? Do you have an idea on that? Uh, I want to say probably, a, I've seen them as low as $100. Okay. Uh, but when I see them that low, it's usually more of a a la carte. They're not including everything, and that's what you want to be aware of when you're, I don't, you know, you never want to go with the lowest, right. the lowest cost. Typically, you don't want to shop something like this based on price. I mean, obviously, price is a component of it, right? You sure. you do want to look at look at all of your options, but I don't think it's ever smart to go with the cheapest because usually there are hidden fees there. That you're that you're not aware of, and it's not apples to apples when it comes to the service that you get. Right. We always say look for the best value, right? Yeah. And if you if you want to find out more from Kelly, the great thing is either Kelly or one of her colleagues contributes to our digital magazine, which you can find on PillarsOfFranchising.com. It is a bi-monthly. We just released the October issue, and Kelly, we really appreciate that. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners or for our people that are out there in chat today? Don't be afraid. You know, I talk to a lot of clients, I mean, every day and several clients that I spoke to today, one of them actually said, I'm terrified. Like, I'm really interested in these businesses, but I, I'm just terrified to, to move forward and make that choice. And I think that, you know, the first thing I tell them is that's normal for starters, right? And truthfully, if you didn't have a little bit of fear and trepidation, we would think that there was something wrong with you, that you weren't working with all your faculties because it is a risk. None of us have a crystal ball as much as we wish we did. And um, so, so you, you're never gonna be 100% certain, but I encourage people if they, if, if they have an interest in owning their own business, get a franchise consultant because I, I agree with that. I think there's so much value in working with a consultant that knows the ropes and can guide you in the right direction and help you look for the right information and to ask the right questions. But work with a franchise consultant, investigate it a little bit, and and just work through the process because I liken it to putting a puzzle together. And when you, you dump out a thousand piece puzzle on the floor, you have no idea what that picture looks like, right? It's a big hot mess. That's but right. every conversation you have with somebody like myself or a franchise or a franchisee, you put a couple more pieces of that puzzle together. And all of a sudden that picture starts to become clear and you either naturally move towards business ownership and you get more comfortable or, or you don't. And if you don't get more comfortable, then it's not the right fit for you, but you owe it to yourself. I think to, to look into it if you have an entrepreneurial mindset and, and give it a shot. Very good point. And Kelly, how do people go about getting a hold of you? You can email me at Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at Benetrends.com. Um, do you want me to spell that all out? Or? <laughs> well, we're gonna have, I, I don't okay. think that's necessary. We've got it at, at all of okay. our contact pages. We'll have it on the credits today. Perfect. Um, obviously, as a contributor, they can find it in the magazine. You can find it on our pillarsoffranchising.com page. Um, and we've got you credited everywhere under Pillars of Franchising because you're such an active contributor. And we uh, sincerely appreciate all the years of assistance that you've given us. You are certainly a very valued member and guest on our show. So. Well, 
I appreciate hearing that, and we feel exactly the same about about you. So you can email me, call me, text me at that contact information, and and I respond quickly. Typically within 24 hours, I'm pretty quick. Awesome, Kelly Cruiser with Ben. Thank you so much, and we'll Thank look forward you. to talking to you again soon. I appreciate it. Hey, franchise owners, how does your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine.com. So welcome, friends. Hello. What a motley crew. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was thinking us. the same thing. <laughs> hey, these are the days we love because the four of us get to sit here about real stuff, real time. Like, there's no sugarcoating at all. It's like on the table, right? So I love Kelly because she's also very like, it's all out there. There's no sugar coating. And um, she's a good Midwestern lady who just doesn't pull any punches when it comes to financing and how to get money. And today, today as a team, we're going to talk a little bit about the same kinds of things, really, right? Like, how do you, you know, now we talk about how you can get started, but how do you keep funding ongoing and how do you use you know, Ray's favorite kind of money, OPM, and and how do you form partnerships when you need them? So let's talk to you, Jerry. Let's start with you because you, you you have all these ventures going. We've got how many great clips happening right now? I have 36 right now. I don't even have that many toes and fingers. <laughs> Thank goodness. That would be and, interesting. It would be. I'm, I was going to crack a joke about where I'm not from, and I decided to stop because my brother would be mad. Very, very good idea. Very yeah, good my idea. brother, my brother would get really mad. Yeah. And in uh, how many joints do you have right now? Uh, we're opening our fifth one uh, October 20th, and that'll be five within a year, which is crazy for almost any franchisee. Which kind of leads into our conversation, right? Yeah, and exactly. and so I'll just take off from there, Kristen, if that's all right. That's exactly so, what uh, Yeah, so listeners, uh, just so you know, when I uh, started the joint, I did it with a couple partners. Kristen brought that up, and, and they were providing most of the funding. And then COVID happened, and, uh, you know, business for most of the world has been different since COVID, especially starting up a franchise. Um Potential cash flow and break-even points have elongated, uh, many of them because of delays in permitting, delays in construction, uh, chain delays because you can't get certain pieces that you need to build out your new unit, uh, or hiring delays. So those are usually the top four reasons. So 
Uh, even when you can get open, you're already upside down because your costs have been uh, substantially higher than your pro forma would have shown them to be. So you find yourself in an interesting situation. And then in my situation, two other factors come into play. Number one, we opened four brand new ones within a year. Bought an existing one, opened four brand new ones. So if you're in a situation where your break-even point, when it could have been maybe four or five months under the old system pre-COVID, it might be 10 or 11 months, which is what we're finding right now uh, in our clinics. So what that means is you may have planned on reaching break and break even with your first one by the time your second or third one was being built and opened so that you had cash flow from the first one to help fund, you know, second, third, fourth, whatever it might happen to be. Well, in this case, that's not working. And in many cases, uh, franchisees have found themselves in that situation. So then to compound the problem even further, my partners decided they really didn't like the space as much as they thought they would, so they left. So here's where it all comes together, where the rubber hits the road. That means I, as the primary partner, had to go find other funding sources. That was a couple new partners and traditional lending with my local bank, which has done a lot of business with us over the years and, and trusts yeah. us, so is happy to um, you know fund us. But the fact is, you're having to fund cash flow needs, not construction okay. needs, and those are two wildly different things. And but when you, you are, cannot reach, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you are in the midst of construction, right? I mean, you are, you're in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you're, you know, there's a construction project going all the time while you're trying to run it. So that, yeah. that exacerbates the problem. But, you know, uh, when you talk about, so here's an example. If you're losing $10,000 a month, month roughly until you reach break even with one, and you've got four of them whose break-even has been elongated by several months, suddenly you're losing $10,000 a month on three or four of them. Yep. And you can do the math. So, uh, you know, lenders are, um, you know, we heard that just a little bit ago from Kelly that, you know, if your credit cards are high or you ask for um, operating monies too often or something like that, that's a red flag, which it should be for mm -hmm. lenders. Uh, but the world we live in today is somewhat different than it was pre-COVID. So, uh, you know, having to continue to update our uh, uh, our cash flow analysis and our trend lines for revenue and those kinds of things so that we have a good definition for the bankers showing the path that we're following and why the situation is as it is so they continue to fund us. Um, and that's, that's, I'll quit there, but that gives you the broad brushstrokes. And trust me, you lose a lot of sleep. There's a lot of stress. And it takes time to come back from those kinds of things. And that's what I warn potential franchisees about when they're buying three packs, which is a right. big deal in brokerage and uh, franchise sales right now, because yeah. they typically give you like three or four years to get those three open. Yeah. And if, if you're in a time like this where your cash flows are short and your break-evens are long, it gets to be very difficult. Yeah. Well, and this is what, if you recall, a while back we talked, and, and we need to obviously follow up with Jackie Stiles, who is opening um, Next Gen Fitness, right? She's got um, two or three pack of Next Gen, and, you know, same thing, COVID hit. And she's got new construction or reconstruction of the facility where she's going into. And so, while I think uh, multi-units are great, they're great for multitudes of reasons. There are risks that people need to be aware of. And when you talk to funding, as Kelly said, those are discussions that need to be happening 
at the forefront with your lenders. Absolutely. And, and to be thinking about like, you know, um, sometimes it's plan B, plan C, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, it's doing a lot of the what ifs because many times I think when people get into franchising or any, anything new and they're entrepreneurial, they're thinking of all the great things. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's good. You want to do that. And I love what Kelly said about the pieces of the puzzle. It's all, it is. It's all pieces of the puzzle and making sure that you have all that taken care of. And part of that is having the plan A, plan B, plan C with all the what ifs. And Jerry, uh-huh. you even said sometimes you even do what ifs and don't come up with all the, all the one, you're kind of surprised, which, uh-huh. which is going to happen. Well, yeah. yeah and and uh, tying two or three pieces together here, I got a, uh, I, I was asked to coach a, a franchisee that's been in her franchise for a little over a year now. Uh, just two days ago, I got a call from a banker saying, please help this person. They're a nice person. And they're just upside down. And the big reason is because it's another one of those emerging brands, which Kelly touched on, that uh, as we've all talked about here before, do not have the infrastructure to support their franchisees to the level necessary. So this poor lady is doing um, what I would think is about 70% of the development of her new business by herself, as if she opened it with no franchise support, because in essence, that's what she did. So I met with her this morning, and in about an hour of me just throwing mud at the wall by, you know, uh, asking questions and observing the layout, it's a retail establishment, so you know, the way it's laid out and how warm it is when people walk in and how the systems are running and, you know, something as simple as adding another iPad to the checkout so they can get people through quicker. I mean, these are things that a new franchisee may not think about. And if the franchisor doesn't have the bandwidth to help them with that, then unfortunately a lot of them fail, which leads to the, the things that Kelly was talking about where it's harder to get loans because bankers realize that's going on. So trying to uh, find uh, lenders who understand that part of it, maybe couple them or with a uh, consultant or a business coach or a franchise coach or something, maybe even making it a part of their package. So if you want the loan, you got to have coaching to get a, you know, you know one of those kinds yeah. of things. Um, if we know emerging brands have that problem, we need to come up with a way to help fix it uh, right. one way or another uh, to help the franchise industry. Yeah, because it's one of the things, again, when you're buying something with the emerging brand, it's really important to, it's not that you don't, you, you don't invest in it. It's just making sure you know what you're getting into, what they really have and what they really don't have. Yeah. And, and I think, right, I mean, and how, and how much, um, how much support they have. Right. And because sometimes they'll just, they'll gloss over it. Right. Well, <laughs> and you don't really get into it. But but one of the things that an entrepreneur needs to uh, do is be able to shift gears on the fly, okay? And what I mean by that is have some funding, like a home equity loan, available to you. Maybe you don't have that loan, but it's available to you. You know, if you need it for uh, an opportunity that comes up suddenly or the economy that, you know, goes bust and you need a few extra bucks to keep going, (laughs) you got to have that kind of in the back of your head, at least, ready ready to utilize it. Yeah. I think the other thing, um, Karen, you and Andrea and I were talking about the other day as, as we just stumbled upon this um, emerging brand situation. You know, if you're an emerging brand out there, sometimes you have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, you know, we probably don't have everything 
and they know they're relying on their very early franchisees to help be the development team, so to speak, in terms of their training and all that good stuff. But they can't be afraid to reach out for help, too. And, okay. and sometimes it's reaching out to experienced franchisees and not necessarily even within the same brand or the same market, but reaching out to experienced people who've been there. I mean, Andrea Mundy is a great example of somebody who was an entrepreneur turned franchisor. Now she's, you know, doing coaching and development and, and, um, and uh, consulting with us. And so people like that, you know, we're out there. And so right. you can't be afraid to ask for help and say, Hey, I've got this great thing going, but, we're missing some pieces. Yeah, it's funny because you know, the whole franchise or franchisee relationship, it's such an important relationship. Yeah. And it's so That's important that it, it stays positive. You're going to have a little yeah. bit of back and forth, but it needs to be positive. So what happens is as a franchise or, you know, when you, when you use the example of the emerging brands, if you're not giving the franchisee enough and they're not feeling successful and, and even right, you, 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 I loved it when you talked about even like a, again, like a backup plan, and sometimes you have mm -hmm. to pivot and everything, but still, when you're not getting that, um, that starts a really um, a not-so-positive relationship, a very negative relationship, but then just kind of keeps spanning out within the network. And yeah, then it's yeah. hard to attract more well, franchisees because of the reputation. Yeah. I mean, Karen, you're absolutely right. And again, this lady that I'm working with right now, um, as we analyze the situation, she's got two paths she can follow a positive and a little bit of a negative path. Number one is a positive path, which is to try and engage with somebody like me that can come in and help supplement what she's getting or not getting from corporate so that she can actually have a successful franchise or because, or if uh, in this case, she's feeling like she was maybe sold a bill of goods when she was sold the franchise. Um, then you talk about litigation and that's not good for franchisee or franchisor, but unfortunately, is is on the table in many cases so uh, one of the positive things i've seen over the last six or eight months and i'm sure this going on other places but it's just because of my book coming out that i'm seeing it uh i've been approached by probably a dozen emerging brands saying we'd like to partner with you to right. uh, help fill in some of the gaps of support that we're giving franchisees so if you and your team can help with uh, operations, help with marketing, right. help with real estate, whatever the case, construction. If you can help fill that in so that we're not dropping the ball there, um, then it's a win for everybody across the board. So I think franchisors, emerging brands are starting to recognize that and they're starting to look for solutions for it. Yeah. And I think that's good because that's good for the entire, not only their system, but franchising in general, right? Nobody, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, again, it's tongue in cheek. It's what everybody says, right? In franchising, you're in it for yourself, but you're not in it by yourself. It, it, it's so true. We're all in it to win for ourselves and our families, but we're all doing the same thing. So it doesn't matter if you're selling haircuts or you're selling, you know, maid service all trying to do the same thing and provide in our cases a service right and so right. i think it's so important Let, let's get back a little bit to what we were talking about in terms of funding um and, and i'll start with you jerry again um in terms of defining partnerships um how would you go back if you had to do it again or or karen or ray right if you're going to get partners in on some of this funding what would you do differently? How would you make sure that a, a partnership that you have is one that um, is secure, so you don't have people changing their minds? 
Well, you know, I, in my opinion, there's only so much you can do on that because if somebody wants to leave the island, they're going to leave the island. And frankly, you don't want an unhappy partner anyhow because that's a load you don't want to bear. So it might be best that they leave. You do have to have a plan for the money that they put in. I think that's really where the basis of it has to fall. Is there a penalty if they want to get out earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe not, but that's something you'd certainly build in up front. If nothing else, making sure that that partnership money, those monies turn into a loan, and it's got to be a loan that will be palatable to whoever's left on the island. So uh, it's got to have a long enough term and a low enough interest rate so that you know an emerging business, a startup type business can afford it, perhaps even uh, postponing payments for a year or two after the uh, breakup of the partnership. Something like that. Giving the remaining partners some options as to how that looks, I think is probably the best way because, you know, in my case, and I think in the case of almost everybody that goes through what we went through, it's not so much that they're leaving. You're disappointed, but it's just how do we handle the money? Um, You know, because there's money they put in, they want back. How does that happen? If the remaining partners were counting on some infusions from those other partners moving forward, is that still on the table or, so those are the kinds of things that need to be defined up front that really helps solve a lot of those potential problems down the road. Absolutely. I t- totally agree with you. And I think too many times, again, when people are in partnership there or they begin the partnership, you know, you know, it's almost talking with them. And I've dealt with this a lot or when it's almost like I talk with them when it's beginning to sour, like yeah. you know, it's a little bit too late. So it's like, you know, make sure up front, it's almost like you caught, it's a, it's, it sounds like a prenup, right? It is. <laughs> I mean, as much as you hate to talk about if we would break up, yeah, but you need right. to, right? And you, you need to, and to talk about the, again, the what if scenarios and what will happen. And, and even, even at the beginning, making sure you're on the same page with the money, you know, mm-hmm. if something happens, I mean, how, like how far, how far does somebody want to go and stretch before they might not want to be it anymore? And having those real conversations, Jerry, you're so right. It's thinking mm-hmm. about that up front. And those are really hard conversations, but necessary, right? And Karen, your, your prenup um, situation is not, not really far off because just like when you go into a marriage and a prenup can be a negative connotation and, you know, everybody's lovey-dovey and you don't want to have those conversations <laughs> and it's never going to happen to us and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, it does. Right. It's the same way with partnerships. Quite often when you're talking to people about being a partner, they get excited, you get excited, everybody's happy, you start counting your shekels for a year or two from now when you're distributions, everything's going to be roses, right? Until it's not. So nobody wants to say, okay, time out. We're We're putting the terms together. We're putting the operating agreement together. We're putting all that stuff together. So somebody's got to be the adult in the room and say, okay, let's talk about worst case. Right. You guys have a health emergency, you get a divorce, and you need to get the money out right now. Uh, you just don't like the business and you want to leave. How do we handle that right. situation? Because yep. the business has got to continue. Again, in my situation, it's almost always going to be somebody in this situation. Yep. If you're leasing space, you're going to sign a personal guarantee for the length of that lease. So when you're in a partnership, generally one person is signing that lease. So if the other partners leave, guess who's left holding the bag on the lease? Right. So there's just a lot of things in there that, in fact, uh, if, if one partner is contributing, let's say, accounting services, 
as a part of their deal. Mm-hmm. And they're the partner that leaves. In the agreement, there should be something in there about how does, you know, how does that dissolution happen? What's the time frame? What's the handoff? Are there financial consequences? Because we're counting on you to do it for free, and now we got to pay for it. So right. how does all of that look? So whenever anybody's putting a partnership together, somebody has got to be the adult yes. and make right. those those conversations happen. Absolutely. You, you know, Jerry, you and I had a conversation yesterday, and I, and I want to close with this thought because we're getting close to our time. One thing we did not bring up today is if you are buying a resale, okay, and and statistically, as you do research, and, and I love listening to my friend uh, Patrick over at Vetted Biz, and I listen to him every morning, and time and time again, many resales are really a great way to go because you can get them at a much lower price. You don't go through all the build out. And a great way to finance that is owner financing. And Gary, you and I talked about that yesterday, especially if you happen to find somebody who's in ready to retire mode, right? Because they're looking for a little extra cash flow. The last two additional franchises I bought, uh, that's exactly what we did. We gave a little bit of cash and then I did owner financing. So every month they got, you know, a little extra money to go along with their social security payment. And everybody was happy. Uh, got any thoughts, Ray, on that? On, on that financing, well, I, my mind was going towards partners when we were talking about partners. And uh, that's one of the things that I avoided uh, uh-huh. because of all the pitfalls because it is, it, it can be uh, like a marriage, except uh, it can end even worse. <laughs> so yes. that's, that's one of the things that uh, I, I tried to avoid and I was successfully uh, yes. did avoid it. Well, so, Barry? Kristen talking about the, uh, you know, the owner financing and buying existing ones. You guys know, uh, first off, OPM, that's one of my terms. Ray used yes. it earlier. When you use owner financing, that's truly the basis of OPM. Uh, we've done probably four or five act, multi-unit acquisitions through OPM, and typically we put about 20%, give or take, down, and then the rest of it's owner financing. We typically structure that uh, over a, a 10-year note with a five-year AMORT, you know, so that you're, or excuse me, I did that backwards, a five-year note with a 10-year AMORT, so it's all built around 10-year terms, but you have a balloon payment in five years, there's usually an option to extend it. Um, many people that are looking to retire uh, may have a major uh, tax situation, tax event, if they take all that money at once, right. that might be somewhat mitigated if it's spread out over a period of time. Mm-hmm. So that's just something they've got to talk to their CPA about. But I can tell you out of the four or five acquisitions we've done, that we use owner financing, it was not the owner's idea. It was right. me going to them and saying, okay, why don't you talk to your CPA because here's what I see yep. and here's what, you know us, you know we're a known entity, we're very successful, we'll take your babies and make them better and stronger, which is <laughs> another thing they're looking for. Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, and so your, your money's safe with us and there might be some tax advantages. And in every case they came back and said, well, you said the same thing our CPA did. Let's structure it as as you described. Almost every one of them has been exactly the way I described, within a percent or two of down payment, and probably within a half a percent of uh, 
you know, terms as far as interest and so on. So um, I highly suggest buying uh, established units if you can. Buy them when they're at or above cash flow with the option, with the, uh, you observe them and you know there's things you can improve in them so that your profits go up because that's found money, that's free money. You're buying out on what they're doing today and you're going to improve it. And you do owner financing. Literally, guys, if you can do a package like that, you're going to be printing money before long. Agree, 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 agree. And I've seen those work really, yeah. really well. Yeah, yeah that absolutely. works out very well. Winning strategy. <laughs> Winning strategy. Jerry, Ray, Karen, thank you as always. I do truly love this team. And now let's pay the bills uh, there, Fred. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at franchiseshow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have calling guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755, 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our million dollar mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned, more coming up. And we would like to thank you all for joining us on the show today with our guest, Kelly Kruger with Benetrend. And thank you to her as well for contributing to our digital magazine. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode as well as any other that you happen to enjoy. Thank you to Jerry Akers, Ray Pillar, our Million Dollar Mentors, Karen Kimsey Ford, our Leadership Guru, and thank you to Fred McMurray and Elizabeth Dunham, our producers. I am Kristen Shelmessy, and together, we are your resource for franchising success. And remember, this has been yet another episode of Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. Have a great week. I'm <laughs> sorry.